Welcome back to the quickest podcast ever, brought to you by Kohl's. Today's topic, fall style. Wait, wasn't it just June? Right? So I went to Kohl's. Of course you did. I got a cute Kara Santana for Nine West sweater for 25% off and a great pair of Vans. Love Vans. And save 25% on a champion hoodie for my husband. Ooh, sounds cozy. You should go. You'll get 15% off or 15, 20, or even 30% off with a Kohl's card. BRB. Select styles. Offers end September 26th. Champion coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Good evening. You're listening to Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy another exciting episode of our show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Straight Talk with Dean and Mark. I hope you sprung forward yesterday, unless you're looking at the clock wondering why we came on at 6. We are on 7 p.m. It is almost springtime, y'all, and we got to get this warm weather because up here, man, I'm telling you, it's a little too cold for March right now, but I look at it and say, you know what? It's soon coming. I can't complain. That's the six man Dean Geronimo. I'm here in the studio and I've got a couple of things of news. I'm just trying to get wrap my head around. And this weekend, you know, a uh, video was leaked with uh, Kirk Franklin. And those of you who know Kirk Franklin, he's a gospel singer, Grammy Award winning gospel performer. He apologized after his adult son posted audio on social media for the famed songwriter and choir director hurling profanity during an argument. Now, Franklin was also well known for hosting BT's reality singing competition Sunday Best, posted a video apology over the weekend on his verified Twitter account. Now many of you know that I have an older son named Carrion Franklin, and may he'll be 33, the 51-year-old musician said. For many years, we have had a toxic relationship with him as a family. The younger Franklin posted a video of audio phone call with his father on Instagram, writing, this is why I'm done. No father should speak to their children like this. The elder Franklin can be heard using expletives and insulting his son before appearing to hang up. Franklin said in his video apology that he and his family, including his son, have sought counseling to try to rectify this private family map. Recently, my son and I had an argument that he chose to record, Franklin said. I felt extremely disrespected in that conversation and I lost my temper. And I said words that are not appropriate and I'm sincerely sorry to all of you. I sincerely apologize. Now, according to Franklin, during that conversation, he got their family therapist on the phone to try to help with the situation. So he says his son did not play that part of the conversation. I'm not perfect, Franklin said. I'm human. I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm trying to get it right. Please keep me and my family in your prayers. To that, I say, brother, parenting is not always going to be right. You're not always going to get it right, but there are some times 
when your children decide to uh, be like Pete Rock and CL Smooth, I'll take you there. So, I mean, me personally, I understand the situation that you're in. They probably, you know, hey, man, you got to go ahead and apologize. Man, you ain't got to apologize for nothing. To be honest, your son might need some of that old school raising. I mean, hell, it's an 18-year difference between the two of you. So you were young when you had him. But now the son believes he's entitled. And you know what? In all honesty, people take that one part of the thing, oh, it's a toxic relationship, it's this, it's that. He's wrong for telling his son that. No, he's not, because if he had punched a hole in his son's chest, I'd be standing right there supporting him. Y'all better raise your kids now, man, because it's a rogue law enforcement out here. Just wait to correct your son in a way that you're not going to be able to come back from. And then there's another problem. We're good at identifying problems, but we don't ever put solutions in. But you know what? Kurt Franklin, man, I support you, bro. And if you got to pile drive your son a couple of times for him to get out of that he's grown stage, because no matter how old you get, your parents are your parents, you better respect them. Like the Bible, you want to go to the Bible, it says, honor thy mother and thy father, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. It don't say nothing about you having to be treated as a man. In fact, you better act like a man in order to be treated like a man. And that was a soft sucker move. So when he called you a bitch-ass nigga, you actually proved him right. But never mind, I'm going to get off of that right now. Because you know what? I'm in the studio from NJ to NC with my right-hand man, Mark Lee. So Mark, tell me what's good in your neck of the woods, my brother. I don't know. I hear that you on a soapbox, and that's a good thing to be on and everything. And you got a right to be on that because as you were saying that and everything, I was thinking about the fact that, well, one, it's a little, a little bit here cloudy in North Carolina. I think we're expecting some rain tomorrow because we were having some serious summer-like weather there for a minute, or at least spring-like weather. But definitely okay. it was a little bit on the warmer side, but it was definitely cooler today. So, you know, the weather was a little bit cooler. Folks over here in Durham are trying to deal with a couple of things going on that have shocked them and everything. One being that, you know, for the first time since 1995, you heard me correctly, I said 1995, Duke is not in the NCAA tournament. Wow. I know they were not there last year because wow. nobody was there because there was not a tournament. But definitely since the first time since 1995, there is not a Duke team. Now, there is a Carolina team, and they're a low seed, and that's a rarity as well. I think they're like a eight, and they're going up against Wisconsin, which is a nine, which ironically, both of those teams lost to my alma mater. And my alma mater had a losing Ooh. record this year, but they managed to beat both Wisconsin and Carolina. So two teams that my alma mater beat will be playing each other to play a number one seed. So whoever wins okay. that will play one of the number one seeds. I forget which one it is, and they'll probably get bounced with the winner wheel by that number one, but that's what's going right. on. And then recently, because, you know, folks, and this comes back to what you're talking about, about parenting and, uh, you know, being responsible. But mm -hmm. Duke is in the middle, because, you know, I live near Duke, Tampa, is in the middle of a shelter at place. Not the entire city, not anybody else, but Duke is in the middle of a shelter at place because they had something like, I think there are 200 students that are under quarantine and maybe like 150 that had the uh, case of the COVID virus and everything. And they wow. are tracing it to a rush party. So a series of rush events because they were trying uh, to get people to join their frats and their sororities and things of that nature. So, you know, right. they were out there trying to get their party on and not following the rules that everybody had told them they needed to do in the first place. And because of that, effective on Sunday morning, they went into lockdown 
and I think they're supposed to be in lockdown till I want to say it's Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening. So like about a week long lockdown, and that's assuming that there are no more cases because it's just possible that it might be a shelter in place even longer than a week. So they are My definitely goodness. in the middle of a week long shelter in place because some people decided they wanted to try to get rushed in order to join a frat or sorority or one of the Greek life institutions. I know you're a part of Greek life and all of that, but you know, there's a time and a place for everything, including the Greek life. And I think the middle of a pandemic isn't necessarily the time and the place. That's just my own thoughts on that and everything. But what I was going to say about what you were talking about in the sense of discipline, I can tell you right now, I am not a young man in the, the least sense. I'm definitely not in my 30s, not in my 40s, about to be pushing not that far away from those lovely six zeros and everything. But I can okay. tell you right now that if Jim Lee, that's my dad, decides to come in here and decides he wants to enforce some rules on me and everything, and he's got me by uh, like 23 years or something like that, because I think he's going to turn 82 in um, June. That's right, because mom's going to turn uh, 79, and there's like about a two or three year gap. I can tell you right now that if either mom in her late 70s or dad in their in his early 80s, decide that they want to enforce some rules, yours truly is listening. Yes, I am going to listen to him because he is the pop and I am not the pop. So like I said, you know, I am not going to be trying to buck up on him. I'm not going to try to do anything but say, yes, sir, no, sir, what can I do for you, sir? (laughs) Exactly, man. I mean, it it comes a time where every, uh, in most families, every male child starts to believe that he is more of an adult than he really is and decides to test that water. For me, I was 15 years old, man, and and the lesson I learned in that is that man will beat me down if I ask in certain ways by actions or whatever, you know, and it wasn't anything that was malicious. It was a lesson learned that I am the king of this house. You can be the king too, but you gotta have your own castle. You know what I mean? And like I said, like I said, yeah. I have my castle in my apartment, but I know if I go to 130 Nelson Street, which is where Dan lives at, everything is public knowledge because it's on his website and everything. But I know that if I go there and everything, I know whose castle that is and everything, and it ain't my castle. And I remember when I want to say I might have been in my 30s or 40s, but I remember I was definitely a young man and everything, and definitely, and you know, I was not like a teenager, I'll put it that way, I was definitely an older person, and I remember right. a time that I went in there and I tried to tell some backwards lie to Pops and everything, thinking I was getting away with something, and well, first off, I made a very bad mistake, one thing is that, you know, one, you're thinking you're going to pull the wool over any parent, and you are a parent, and even when my nephews try to pull the wool over me, all the times I'm like, nope, I know the game. I played the game, and I know that Malik, my brother, has played the game as well. So we know the game. We played the game. But when you think you're going to get away with something, that's your first mistake, thinking you're going to get away with it. So I thought yeah. I was going to get away with it. I don't even remember what the lie was that I thought I was going to get away with. But I, like my happy ass, decided to not just tell the lie, but decided to go into the bathroom when I told the lie. And, you know, oh, Dad God. figured out the lie. And so, Boy. you know, what's the one place you don't want to be trapped at when dad figures out the lie? All I remember is I think I was in the middle of something and it wasn't like the sitting down variety. I think I was in the middle of the standing down, standing up variety. And all of a sudden I heard this fist come through the door and dad basically been like, Boy, didn't I just tell you? And I'm yeah, like, man. All I can say is, I, Yeah, you're right. That's all I can say is, Yeah, you're right. 
Yeah, my father will be 83 years old next month, man. And, and even though he, he's not as uh, agile as he used to be, I'm still like, man, listen, you get that respect. Because it, it when you get to a point where you start to become disrespectful to your parents or what have you, you know, you cross a line, man, and, and you know, people could try to put a term on it. Oh, maybe he grew up this. Maybe maybe he just doesn't fucking do what he was supposed to do. And as a parent, his, you want the best for your kids, and sometimes they just don't listen, man. You might as well go ahead and talk to the street, you know, and, and hope that it sticks. Some kids are like that. Some kids are not. Each child is different. However, when it comes to time for a parent to get in their kid's ass, they should not feel one bit of sadness for having to do that. Because if you don't, then his son's going to think he's entitled and he's going to start mouthing off. He's going to mouth off at the wrong time. And God forbid there's a rogue law enforcement officer standing right there telling him, sir, I need you to be quiet. And when he doesn't, knock all his teeth out of his mouth. Now we have another issue. Everybody's going to want to cry and scream on the hills rather than going back or they'll say well where was his father you know what after 18 they don't belong to us no more so if they don't want to listen I got a better piece of advice for everybody once your children become the age of majority if they don't want to listen stop talking let the world catch them in the f- and give them a good lesson and after a few times of getting bust upside their head maybe they'll listen to the lessons you tried to teach and you know what? Speaking of, you speaking can only... of the lessons that folks try to teach them and everything, and this comes back to what you're talking about, Dean. What mm-hmm. is your thoughts about? Because I did watch a little bit of it. I, I'm not gonna lie, I think I watched just about all of it. But you know, some of those performances on the Grammys, I'm sitting there going like, did your mama teach you anything about common manners and about not like letting it all hang out and everything? Because a couple of the performances, I'm sitting there going like, they're not leaving anything to the imagination. And I know I'm a fan of the blues. You know I'm a fan of the blues. And I know sometimes the blues music can get downright nasty and raunchy itself. But some of those mm-hmm. songs were downright real raunchy. And I'm sitting there going like, whoa, this is like really not leaving much to the imagination and all of that. But hey, they seem to be very popular and all of that. But I was just wondering what your thoughts were. And if you watched the performance of uh, Cardi uh, B and Meg uh, The Stallion and a couple of the others that were in that kind of category. Now, there were some other ones that were very profound in the sense of telling some very profound stories about Black Lives Matter, about uh, definitely the way we're dealing with the virus and some other things. So I'm not going to say that they were all that way, but I know that song. I mean, there's a full big giant bed and a bunch of scantily clad folks and everything that were just dancing all over the place. But I was just wondering whether you watched it and what your thoughts were of what you watched. I don't watch award shows. I, I, I usually... I stay away from those, man. I I don't I don't see, you know, for me, I don't want to watch those. So instead of wasting time, I find something else to watch. That's just me. You know, I, I'm only gonna support the things that I like. That's just me. You know, but shout out to Nas for winning a Grammy. You know what? Nas has been in the game for a long time, man, and, and proud of him. You know, I, I bumped that ultra black. I bumped the instrumental at work, and I think. Some people don't even know what it is, but it is what it is. But to going back to your question, the hypocrisy, it seems like, you know, you want to cancel like last week. They want to cancel Pepe Le Pew. Oh, he supports rape culture and all that. Man, it's a cartoon skunk trying to kiss a cartoon cat that he thinks is a skunk. 
but you want to cancel that. But then you have the Grammys, and I could just imagine, you know, I know the song that they won for. I, I am aware of what they won for and what they performed. But, okay, that's fine. But a cartoon character that's been chasing a cat, a skunk chasing a cat for 75 years, and then all of a sudden someone who needs attention says, oh, he supports rape culture. I didn't learn a motherfucking thing, and I'm going to say it just like that. No dude learned the game from Pepe Le Pew. Like, yo, that's how you treat a female. You know what I mean? So now we're going too far into some things, but we allow others. You know, you turn on the TV and everything, you know, growing up back in the days, man, you couldn't even say damn on TV without getting an FCC violation. But now you got all the cuss words get said with, with the exa- exception of the F word most of the time, unless it's cable. But then you have all these sex scenes and everything else. So now the kids are growing up and they're watching this on prime time. I mean, well, they should be in the bed. Well, shit. I used to go in the room. My parents thought I was in the I was in the bed. Awake as hell with the TV on. But one thing that they didn't expose us to, and I'm talking about not only our parents, but the industry as well, did not expose us to all of those external things where now it's just open. So now sex sells. Might as well go ahead and legalize prostitution, dog. You know what I mean? You 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 got it on everything else. You know, so we have we have to learn to balance. We don't know how to balance. We know how to argue. We know how to um, point out what's wrong, but no one wants to give up a solution to make it right. So. You know, hey, it's going to be like that. For those who love the Grammy Awards, hey, man, do your thing. You know, but for me, I just let me read the recap. I don't need to see any of the performances. I got this music that I like on my YouTube music, dog, and I get it in every day. So, you know, I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah, I did want to give out one other shout out to somebody at least here in this area that won an award for a Grammy as well. And they actually won for Best Bluegrass Album. So I want to give a shout out to Asheville based Steep Canyon Rangers and Rangers. And they actually won for a song that honored a lot of North Carolina icons in music, including B&E King, Elizabeth Cotton, James Taylor, Doc Watson, and the legendary jazz performer Thelonious Monk. So while it was a bluegrass nice. album, they were honoring the music from North Carolina. As a matter of fact, the song was called the North Carolina Songbook, and they definitely honored a lot of the rich tradition that comes from this state that I also call home as well. And they definitely did win an award also. So we got to give them a shout out also. I think there might have been a couple of others that won as well, but definitely uh, glad to see they were able to... Uh, some recognition and to uh, definitely get some honors as well. So that's just good news uh, from our North Carolina front. And like I said, it was honoring some things right here in the North Carolina area as well. So definitely okay. glad to see that um, the uh, that, um, Grammy nomination. As a matter of fact, I don't think that they actually won it now that I think about it, but they did get the nomination and all. But just great to see them get the uh, local honorees and there was a couple of other folks that got nominated as well that had ties here also including I think somebody from UNCG so definitely glad to see the representation as always from the uh, old Car Hill State and all of that so just wanted to put that out there and I also wanted to give a shout out 
to something that I have mentioned on the show before, but something that I was hoping was going to happen. It happened today. It took them long enough to make it happen, but we need to give a big shout out to uh, Deb Halen, if I remember the name correctly and everything, but she is the one that is the first Native American woman to be ever confirmed to serve as the cabinet secretary, and she's going to be running the Department of the Interior. So definitely that is the department that I think needs some strong representation from the Native American society and also definitely glad to see her getting that role and being nominated on today. A very historical nomination. There's no doubt about that. Indeed. Now we got a guest standing by the door, man. I'm about to open the door and find out who's here. So let's see who's at the door. Welcome to Straight Talk with Dana Mark. You are now on the line. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from. Is that me? That's you. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Sorry. Um, this is Aaron McCullough, and I'm here Hello. from Portland, Oregon. Wow. Hello. Hey, Aaron. If you would, share a little bit of your story. Tell us a little bit about what you've got going on. I know I reached out to different folks. Looking forward to having great conversations about the entertainment world as well as just the world of activism and some of the other things that we talk about here on a regular basis. But if you would just share a little bit about your personal story and then me and Dean will go in and learn more about it as we learn more about you. Wonderful. Well, thanks for having me. Um, You know, I work with professionals typically in leadership positions and what I do with them is I help them create what I call impenetrable joy, which is, where you have an internal experience of joy that is not disturbed by people or events um, that you get to dictate and be intentional about, you know, what you're creating in your life. That makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of times we don't do enough of that. We don't pay enough attention to what actually makes us and gives us joy, particularly even in the, the business and the entrepreneurship world. I think a lot of times we get caught up in the, um, the, the things that are outside of our control instead of the things that are actually inside of our control. So how are some of the ways that you deal with that? Because I do think that whether it's pursuing a book kind of career, as I've known, I've talked to authors, or whether it's even talking to folks in the entrepreneurship field, whether it's a big company or a uh, company like a restaurant. But a lot of times there's so much ingrained in what the um, things that are outside of their control and not paying enough attention into the internal aspects. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, really. Um, You know, coming from having been somebody who had an anxiety disorder that was so bad at one point that I was holed up in my home for nearly a year, I really didn't think that I was going to have, you know, a regular life at any point. And one of the things I know about anxiety is that it's this attempt to control everything, everybody, all the things. And so when we do that, we recognize that we can't, right? We can't control other people and we can't control circumstances. But the thing that we can control is our response to circumstances and people. And that's really the only thing we can control. So when we start to understand that, then it's less resistance to what is, and you just sort of let this life unfold in a way that's much more calm and peaceful, if that makes sense. 
that does make a lot of sense. Now, when do you think that this first came to realization for you, like in your own business career and everything? At what point did this become something that you were more aware of? And then how did you go about making it something that you were able to help other people become aware of? You know, it was sort of a, it happened over a couple of decades, honestly. So it started with the anxiety disorder. After that, um, my counselor at the time, she had recommended that I go to a homeopathic psychiatrist who gave me a remedy which made the anxiety part go away, but it didn't make my brain part go away, you know, the part that led to the anxiety. And so it took another, I thought, well, after that, you know, maybe I can have a life. So I moved someplace that I thought would be a simpler life. I moved to Hawaii, to a small town, thinking, oh, you know, if I just make my life simple, then, you know, I won't have anxiety. But lo and behold, <laughs> it, it was me. I'm the one that created it. So I created it again. I started a business, and it just took off like gangbusters. And, um, and I was super grateful for it being successful, but it was a lot of work and super stressful. And, um, and so I sort of created the whole thing again. And so I'm 10 years into this business I create, and a client calls one morning, and she's complaining, and I just, you know, jumped into action and was frantic and uh, worried and had stress, and I raced over to a friend's house, and I backed into her driveway, and I sideswiped my car in her husband's truck, and he was under it working on it, and it nearly fell on him and killed him. And it just scared me to my core. And I thought, like, is it normal to be this frantic and stressed out all the time? This, this doesn't seem normal. And so I began working on myself, doing, you know, seminars, self-development, reading a lot of books. And then a few years later, I found myself in the middle of a divorce, and it leveled me. And I thought, oh, I should be able to pull on all that information I learned from those seminars I took, but I didn't have any strategies. I knew there was a different life to be had. I had seen it through the seminars. I didn't actually have the strategies to doing that. Does that make sense? Now, that makes a lot of sense and everything. And I was just wondering, I know that on a couple of shows, including on this show here as well, we've talked to a lot of different business leaders. And a lot of times they'll talk about the nature of business education. And a lot of times they feel that business education isn't doing a necessarily a good job of teaching the aspect of learning how to run a business. But I would argue part of the things that they also don't teach is really is the um, social aspect of running a business and definitely dealing with anxiety, dealing with uh, depression, dealing with another of other things that come with the, the whole aspect of being an entrepreneur or a business owner. So I was wondering, is that something that you think that even I would argue our colleges need to do a better job of, much less our high schools and our grade schools. But I was definitely wondering your thoughts as to what we can do to make it even more of something that is talked about on a regular basis. Because I do feel that a lot of times we don't pay attention to what the business owners are going through. I mean, we'll critique the business owners when they're doing really bad things, and we'll definitely think that they're having anxiety <laughs> attacks and they're doing some very bad business decisions. I know we've definitely said that even here on this show about the past person at 1600 and some of his business decisions as well as some of the business decisions of, say, Elon Musk and others. But that's not really helping in terms of creating this kind of mindset that we need on the business world. But I was just wondering your thoughts. Yeah, you know, I 100% agree. Um, 
you know, it would be nice if there was a business 101 class where it explained not only the, you know, the literal pieces in terms of, you know, what you're responsible for in starting a business, but also, you know, what does it take mentally to, you know, hang in there when it feels like you're spinning your wheels and or, you know, a customer complains, how do I deal with that in a way that makes sense and I don't, you know, lose myself in my business, which is a common issue for a lot of entrepreneurs is being, you know, so wrapped up in their business that they've lost track of why they even started or what the service they're really even providing is anymore. Um, and it's it's a shame because, you know, I love entrepreneurs. That's why I work with them. That's why I've been one for a couple of decades. Um, but, yeah, we don't – there's no handbook. And so you're just kind of, you know, trying to roll with what is, but it, it gets stressful real quick. And, um, you know, that's why there's so many coaches out there. Um, part of the issue, though, is that, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, if you decide you want to start your own business, you're a highly capable individual. That's why you're doing that. And um, sometimes it's hard for them to reach out and go, hey, I need a little help here. I'm not quite sure how to do this, that, or the other thing, or how to really manage or navigate these different things. Because in the beginning, when you start a business, you are like 100% all the things, right? You're the bookkeeper and the salesperson and the service person and I mean literally all the things until you get it up and running and can have some help and so recognizing that that's temporary things like that is that's why it's important to have coaches helping people with those sorts of things no yeah I definitely think coaches are vital and I'd love to hear your thoughts as to why you think coaches are vital but I had the pleasure earlier today on one of the streaming podcasts of talking to an author and this author is actually very much uh very open about the fact that they are bipolar, but they don't let that stop them from having a positive attitude about their business, which of course is being both an author and a author coach, because they actually are coaching other authors as well. So I was just wondering, because I sometimes think that sometimes you need to have an element of um, like something that's tugging against you, like a force that's a, I won't say a negative force, but like a negative force to some degree and everything in order to even be a success. And I know that you talk about the fact that you went through an anxiety disorder. I just talked about this person that went through the bipolar and everything. But I do sometimes wonder, and I've heard this even from performers, that sometimes you need that element of something that's going to actually help drive you that's a, um, some people might consider a negative force. But I'm just wondering, do you think that you need some sort of uh, tug to go with the pull, to, for lack of a better term? Yeah, I mean, I think I know what you're asking. Um, you know, obviously, I work with people with anxiety a lot because I understand what it's like to be that laden with anxiety. Um, and I also work with entrepreneurs because I understand, like, how difficult it is to be an entrepreneur. I think it's pretty tough to coach or lead somebody down a path that you haven't already been on, you know, and that's why sure. – you know, people, they go through that, uh, you know, they have that crisis or, you know, the uh, impetus to moving in a direction um, and recognizing that, man, it would have been nice if I had somebody that could help me through that. Um, maybe I can be that person. And it also serves a human need, which is we love to help others. 
people as humans like that's one of the needs that we just love to do is to be of service to others and so it's kind of the double whammy like you get to really guide somebody down the thing that you wished you had had somebody help you through and then you get to be of service as well which is you know is a beautiful thing and I guess what I was trying to ask in a, ask in a more concrete kind of way is that um, it seems to. Uh... At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks only at T-Mobile. <laughs> device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. A lot of people, when they're being successful, the trauma has kind of, whatever the trauma is, has driven their success. We think about, like, you know, they say that definitely Newton had some issues and some trauma. Definitely uh, Van Gogh <laughs> did out of the arts world. And definitely we've known quite a few business leaders. I mean, they said Bill Gates, I think, dropped out of school before he had the kind of success that he has had and everything. So I was wondering, that's where I was kind of going with that question. Is do you think that it's oh, necessary to have trauma in order to be a success? You know, I think it helps. You know, I mean, if you've been sitting in your home your whole life and you haven't had any experiences, it's kind of hard to, I mean, you're kind of starting from scratch. I don't think anybody has that. I mean, I, you know, even when we look at people who are super successful and they look like they have it all together or whatever, like we're all here with challenges. I mean, that's the point. Like we're here literally to evolve through our specific challenges. Um, so, I mean, is it the thing that pushes people? It doesn't push me anymore because I don't see success the same way as I used to. I used to, you know, I used to think that was a monetary goal. I used to think it was a, um, you know, a status thing or an achievement piece. And now I don't, I don't think those ways. So it's less concrete uh, than before. Um, but I think that, you know, there are some basic human needs that do drive, you know, like the need to be in service and, um, and to share like who we are and be of value to other people. Like those things are what drive me now, but I, I hear what you're saying. And I think that is the case for a lot of people, um, you know, that those things drive them. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. What are some of the big mistakes that you think as a mentor to business owners that you are still surprised that business owners are making in the 21st century? We are in the year 2021, and I was just wondering, what are some of the mistakes that Stephen to this day shock you when you do your coaching and your mentoring that you can't believe that they're still having issues with this? I know that one of the things that I'm oftentimes surprised is the folks that want to start a business and don't have the very basic thing that I think all businesses need if they're going to start off, which is a business plan, or they think that they're supposed to get the investment without at least having some sort of 
pitch plan, meaning they're going to pitch to an investor and things of that nature. But I was just wondering, what are some of the things that have surprised you that folks don't have already in place? Well, I'll say, you know, that I noticed it's, you know, with this information age that we're in, there's just so much information. (laughs) So it's challenging for people who are starting out that have never, um, you know, first of all, aren't self-directed and secondly, never done, like been in a leadership position to start a business. Um, The the biggest issue I see, especially with people who are just starting out, is that there's so much to do and so many different directions you could go that it's it gets um, challenging to focus on one thing. I mean, I, I had a client the other day. I explained to her what I thought she should do in order to create some clientele, and she did it, and she got results. And then um, when I saw her the next time, I said, you know, how did that go? And did you go to, and, you know, do it again to re- repeat those steps? And she was like, well, no, I didn't. I thought I would do this other thing, this social media thing or this other, you know, advertising thing. And I was like, I mean, it's just like anything else. Like you got the result you wanted, so stick with the plan, you know. And um, and that's, I think, sometimes well, I see it a lot with entrepreneurs is that they come up with something that works. They come up with a sales process that works or a marketing process that works, and then they don't repeat it (laughs) Um, because they saw something else or somebody else got their attention about something. And I think that that happens all the time. And so just focusing in on one or two things that you could do and just be consistent at that are creating some results, um, you know, it just takes time. Social media, like, there's this illusion that, like, digital marketing is this overnight thing, and it's not. It takes time, effort, and consistency to get followers, to get people to engage with you, to do email lists, to, you know, send out newsletters. All these things take time. And they are not these overnight successes. It's just that we see the success at the at the end point. We don't see all of the hard work it took to get there. And so I think it's it's kind of this illusion that people end up kind of buying into, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I know one of the things that you talk about on your website and everything, and I know that that's something that we've all times talked about on this show. I know that in my mind, Dean's done a great job of it because he does work with his uh job and corrections, as well as, of course, has a successful relationship with his wife. And definitely uh, they have some side businesses and everything. But is that work-life balance? So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the work-life balance and what what advice you give to folks in order to how to create it. Because I know sometimes I don't always know that I do a great job of it. Sometimes I might be doing three things at the same time. And then we know that that doesn't always work out all that well, depending on how good you are at multitasking. Yeah, and most people are not good at it, even when they say they are, because obviously you're focused and you're distracted, right? Um, Right. Work, you know, this has kind of been my beef lately, to be honest. So we have a 24-hour day, right? Eight of it we're supposed to be hopefully sleeping, six to eight maybe, whatever, right? So that's one-third of it gone. The other third is um, working. Like we're supposed to work eight hours a day. This is faulty. And then the other eight hours, we're supposed to cram every other aspect of our life into those eight hours. 
And it really doesn't end up being eight hours, especially if you commute or do any of these other things. So you're really looking at like, you know, six maybe, plus you got to make dinner and you got to do all the like logistical things, right? So it's like, obviously out of the gate, we're already unbalanced, right? We're one third sleeping, one third working, and the other third either, you know, doing logistical things and not spending quality time with family, friends, or for that matter, like as adults, like we just don't have enough fun. Like we just don't, you know, I mean, I don't consider like exercise. I mean, that should be a part of your day too. And we don't, that's not fun. I mean, it is kind of fun, but it's not, it's not like, you know, relaxing. Um, And so I, you know, I propose a different kind of work week. My work week looks significantly different. First, if you're going to, sit I would love down to hear. I would love work. to hear about your. I would love to hear about your work week, definitely. But one thing I was going to ask you is, and it may even tie into your work week is, I know that a lot of times because you mentioned the car, you'll see the people. I don't drive. I do mass transit. When, of course, I've not been doing much of that lately in the sense of catching the bus and everything because of the um, coronavirus. And I'm actually doing my current job of able to do it from home and everything. But I know that when I've gone on the bus or been friends' cars and everything, you know, they might have the headset on and the headset might be something that's work-related or something that's study-related. So in that case, you really are doing two things at the same time. I don't know, like you just said earlier, that you're doing them that effectively. Hopefully you're not, you know, swerving off the road and causing any accidents. But <laughs> if you're doing that and you're also listening to things on the headset about your work, aren't you somewhat distracted by what you're listening to while you're driving to work? And, and I think that we see that quite often and everything. So what would be your idea? Because I know that sometimes people have even proposed the um, the four, three work week, which means four days work, three days of a weekend. I know that I've heard people propose things similar to like what Latin American countries do, which is a longer uh, siesta time or lunch time and everything. Because a lot of times I find that our lunch breaks, and I don't know how it is in the West Coast where you are, but I know sometimes the lunch breaks are very short. So for example, when I was going into the office, I think we had a 45 or 50 minute lunch and it was going to take me, and I just told you that I walked, it was going to take me five to 10 minutes to get to the restaurant. It's assuming I'm going to eat out and everything. Hopefully the order takes 10 to 15 minutes. That's 30 minutes of the 50 gone right there. So basically I've got a 15 minute break. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm like, I want to lead the charge on creating a new what work looks like. I think, you know, after all this coronavirus stuff and people working from home, I think businesses are starting to realize that, you know, first of all, their employees were certainly more effective at home and efficient. That was across the board what they found um, based on some of the studies I've seen. Um, And I think the work is going to become more project-based. It's going to be less about how many hours are you working and more about here's this project, here's what's expected of you, and here's when it's due. And I think that's the way to go, honestly, because the reality is is even if you show up to a job and you clock in and clock out after eight hours, you're not focused 100% after eight hours. Like when I'm working with my clients, I'm showing them how to get into a flow state so that they can be super efficient, super effective, totally focused, and get things done. I mean, everybody knows what that's like. You've had that moment, or right when you're about to go out of town, you've got this huge list of things that need to go, need to happen before you leave town. Like that kind of efficient, effective, focused work. And that doesn't take eight hours. 
In fact, if somebody was able to do that for eight hours, that would be incredible. But much more effective when we're in the right headspace, we've created the right environment. And so, you know, I propose that, you know, the work day look like four or five hours and then everything else can fit into the, uh, what, 10, 11 hours the rest of your life, right? That's, you know, socializing with your family or friends, doing activities that are um, conducive to health, you know, those sorts of things. That makes much more sense to me than eight hours wasting away somewhere and not being in a efficient, focused mode. Now, what would you say to somebody that was in, and Dean may want to jump in on what I'm here to ask and everything, because I'm going to use him as an example, but what would you say to somebody that's in a structured environment? Because Dean works as a officer within the correction system, so that's a very structured environment. I could also use a hospital as an environment that's going to be very structured, because what you're describing is something that we can definitely see in some of these more creative entrepreneurship communities, because they've been doing this now for a while whether it was Red Hat or whether it was even kind of what Google was doing and a couple of these more tech startups. But then you've got things like a prison or like a hospital that are very much structured. I mean, the whole work environment is structured for not just the uh, inmates, but also for the people that are working in there in the sense of the prisons. And I would argue the same for the hospital. So how how would your proposal work in a more structured environment similar to what Dean's environment is? And Dean, if I'm describing the environment wrong, please correct me. Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to, um, you know, get some of these employers to recognize that people aren't as focused when they're doing the same activities for a long period of time. So if that means adding, you know, like when I go into companies and I work with them to get more efficient and um, have better production, You know, I'm sitting down asking people about who they are as people because the number one value is people, right? They're the number one uh, thing that gets your business continuing to, to run because you can't do all the things yourself. And so recognizing when people are acknowledged and know that they are of value, so that's hugely important. The other piece is giving them creative license and also treating teams like a team. So even though my, say my um, job title is this thing and it has this scope of work, um, if there are things on that scope of work that you just distaste and do not like doing, guess what? That person doesn't do those things well, and that's why you function as a team. And so you put those up for bid. So if, you know, there are things where you're just like, I just hate this piece of, my scope of work, then you put it up to bid for your team and you say, does anybody like not have an issue with this particular particular function um, and wouldn't, you know, and would be glad to take it on? Great. And so, you know, instead of shaping it like, you know, this person has to do all these activities, when you treat them like a team and you show them they have value and you get them doing the things that they like and are good at, guess what? Production goes way up. Morale goes way up. Um, And so in terms of like reworking that eight-hour day, it would look like I I suggested before, project-based. But when you are in a situation where you can't do project-based, 
then it would look like different activities, like significantly different. Um, because doing the same thing over and over again not only, um, you know, makes it ripe for mistakes, um, but it's boredom, you know. And we don't, like, especially in healthcare or where people need to really show up for other people, um, you know, we can't have people being bored because then mistakes get made and, you know, people can get hurt or, you know, perish, and that's not okay. And so, you know, moving around, doing different activities, and also uh, something that you suggested I think is really important is having enough breaks that are meaningful enough, you know, not a 15-minute every hour or whatever it is, two hours or whatever the thing is. You know, maybe having a more meaningful break, um, you know, mid, mid-shift um, so that you can really regroup, you know, like you could – if you had something on the side, you could go and do it or you could go run errands or you could change your environment so that you can come back with fresh set of eyes and um, energy. It's How important do you think it is to do uh, team building exercises? Because I know a lot of times uh, a lot of societies will do team building exercises. And I was just wondering how important do you think it is to have those team building exercises? And will we be able to do We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Team building exercises in this new hybrid model. Because I heard for, from a couple of folks that we might still be even with herd immunity in this kind of hybrid model for another, say, year, maybe year to two or something like that. But how important do you feel as a business coach team building exercises are? And are there ways to do team building exercises when the team is in several different places and in some cases even several different continents? Yeah, I mean, we've had to adjust some of the way that you know, I execute some of these team building exercises. Obviously, a lot of them are happening on Zoom. And there are ways to get people engaged even through, you know, distance. Um, but ultimately, like I said before, the number one thing that every human wants is to be valued and know that they matter and that their voice matters. And you can still do that without being, you know, person to person or even one-on-one. That's, you know, that's just being a human and, and having a human touch and recognizing as a leader that um, if I value these people, they will remain loyal. And um, if we, you know, instead of looking at the old structure, obviously leadership is top down, but I never led any of my employees or businesses that way. I was definitely the boss and, but, it was less about, you know, I'm up here, you're down there. It was more about a, um, 
uh, horizontal, right? It was more of a um, it was more of a line. It was like I have these tasks, you have these tasks. This is how this whole thing works. And transparency is huge with um, uh, with employees. Like they really want to know where they fit into the the whole system and why, you know, just to, so that it makes sense to them so they can understand and have a deeper understanding of, you know, where do they fit in, where could they possibly stretch and grow and what's available for them to move around in terms of moving up or down or across um, to understanding more. And that's, and that's what breeds loyalty is when they feel heard, when they can be creative, when they're doing the things that they're good at, and um, and doing them often and not being, you know, bogged down by things that they don't enjoy doing or they're not good at. Right. Oh, um, one of the other questions I was going to ask you really quickly is you had also talked about within your conversation about having a no-fail way to start your day and everything. And I'm oftentimes fascinated when people have a no-fail way to do things. So what is a no-fail way to start the day as a win? So I'm wondering what you're thinking about. And you also say that there's ways that you suggest to your clients that they turn a bad day around. Yeah, so one of the things that I always teach my clients is about – is about a visualization process. Uh, we, you know, we've heard a visualization through like athletes mm-hmm. use it all the time. You know, Michael yeah. Phelps, Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, like they saw all of their greatest efforts from, you know, seeing it in their mind first. And so when I work with a client, one of the first things we do after I ask them to get rid of the story that's been running their life <laughs> of all the bad things that have happened we create a new story of what we'd like. And it looks like the day in the life of all the things you ever wanted. Um, and so I have them write out everything they ever wanted, um, you know, from morning to evening, very first of the day to end of the day. And, and then write it in a way that is, you know, uses all of the senses, um, not for the purpose of being attached to those things showing up in your life, but for the elevated emotional response that happens. Because the reason that we want things in our lives, like you want to have that new car or the house or the relationship, is because of how we will feel when, or how we think we'll feel when we get those things. And so I help you create that experience as though you already have them so that you can have that elevated experience like right out of the gate every single morning. So that's how you start your day, no fail way. Um, Like I'm so into my morning visualizations that I literally have tears of joy, like rolling down my face. Like I'm, that's how invested I am in that. And that's, that's where I found my joy was in that process. Now the cultivation of the joy, which is what you were asking about in terms of, how do I turn a day around that requires, you know, a whole host of strategies um, that I help people uh, recognize first, starting with 
having awareness when you're having emotions that are bringing you down or making you feel like, you know, this day is sideways and, you know, this, these, all these things aren't working out. Understanding how the mind works and how to disrupt these habitual thinking patterns that we often will have um, is one of the first ways to turn your day around is to recognize, oh, I've had this thinking pattern before. You know, often what will happen is something, one bad thing will happen, and instead of just shaking it off, we'll go down that path of, oh, this happened, and then there's this other thing that's not working out, and then this other thing that's not working out. So then we add on, we pile on to that bad day. And I teach people how to stop their brain from doing that habitual oh, one bad thing happens and then everything's bad, to one bad thing happens, let me elevate my emotions so that I can move on and continue to be efficient and effective. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I wish more and more people would do that and everything. One of the other things that I know that you were doing in addition to your leadership was you also had uh, another organization that you were part of. And it kind of comes back to the conversation that me and Dean were having at the beginning of the show, which we were talking about the children and how they need some leadership skills as well. And I know that you've got this foundation that you've been having now, it looks like, for almost nine years called the, I love the title of it, by the way, the Love and Peace Foundation. So I'd love to if you could talk a little bit about that as well, because just the way that the foundation was created, it sounded like it was a very interesting story as to its creation. Yeah, it's so interesting. So how it started was um, I was uh, attending the seminar and they said, before you attend the seminar, you need to come up with a goal and complete it by the time the seminar happens. And I chose to do a um, food drive. And I thought, you know, I only had, I think I had like a week or 10 days to come up. And I said, oh, I'll collect, you know, 500 cans of food in a week. You know, I just thought I would just hit up all my friends and say, hey, I'm doing this food drive. Any canned uh, non-perishable goods you have, I'll take it. So I, um, you know, texted all my friends and said, look, this is the day I want to pick up. If you've got any extra or you feel like you might want to go grocery shop, I'm going to take it to the food bank. Um, Because it's always been in my mind, I just could not wrap my head around the fact that some people do not have food to eat. When I know for a fact that this country makes enough food for everybody to have food to eat. So there's obviously a distribution issue and um, some other underlying issues that needed to be attended to. So I, so that was the impetus. And I, as it turned out, I ended up collecting well more than, you know, it was like it was in the thousands of cans of food in like a week. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, but then when I went to the food bank to drop all the food off, I started a conversation with the woman who runs it. And I said, you know, tell me about the clientele here. Tell me what you do with this food so that I can understand it better. I'd like to help. And she said, um, you know, a lot of the food goes to food pantries and they make warm food for families in need. If there's a family that, you know, is in need and, and needs food, they can come and shop here, but that's a rarity. And I started to think about that and I thought, you know, it's one thing to come up with food to help people. But the other thing is there is a systemic issue with poverty, and it is generational. It's learned behavior. 
And I knew that having a degree in psychology and having looked at this issue while I was doing my studies in college, and I thought, I want to do something bigger than, you know, just providing food. Food, obviously, in a pinch is absolutely what people need if they don't have it. But beyond that, it doesn't, it's a Band-Aid for a deeper issue. And so I thought, initially, I used to sit on the board of Habitat for Humanity And we started the families that didn't qualify for the homes. I started working with them and um, trying to find, uh, because mindset has been something that I've worked on for years, trying to find, uh, put together a curriculum that would make sense for them to understand um, some basic things that I think some of us take for granted in terms of understanding, you know, basic economics Um, how to get a job, how to keep a job, you know, just some very basic things, Um, how to stay off of um, state and county assistance and things like that if you don't need them, you know. I'm not saying that they're a bad thing. They're obviously um, helpful. Um, And so, like, teaching them, you know, being a resource for them. And what I found was that the adults were less interested in changing the patterns that they had learned, but the kids were. And I thought, okay, well, Mm -hmm. I'm going to come up with some curriculum that I can teach kids to help them understand that um, there are resources for them that are not necessarily like handouts. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. there are mentoring and um, I can show them that, there are adults that can be supportive for them and that can be role models for them, even if they don't have them in their family. And so then we started on Oahu, we started going to the low-income housing and putting on these seminars for these kids. And it was remarkable just, you know, first of all, to get a better understanding of what their life is like. But secondly, that they're just kids and they're open and interested in learning different things. And so that's, that was the basis for, for that. Um, and now I've just moved to Portland and um, I took a couple of years off just to establish my new business, but um, I've gathered a group of some very powerful women and we are um, reshaping the mission and we're going to go ahead and start to teach kids again, um, specifically minority underserved youth. Yeah, that's how that is a definitely a needed thing, and you're right about the impact needed in terms of our society. Because I'm oftentimes shocked at the fact that we still have folks that don't have enough food. And I was also recently on another podcast, and they were talking about the fact that we still have folks that are homeless, even though there are enough houses and enough living spaces for us to house everybody with what's already been built. We don't have to build more, even though they're constantly building more, not just here in Durham, North Carolina, but around the country and around the world. But we actually have enough with what's already been built because there are a number of apartments that are sitting empty as well. So if anybody's working on plans to help with that, and I was actually talking to somebody that I think is doing something out of Switzerland with tiny homes to try to help that in some of the, definitely in some of the rural African countries and some of the other parts of the world. So anytime that we've got folks that are using leadership to tackle social justice and all of that. So as a business person, how important do you think it is for our business leaders to also make it part of their mission 
to uh, do things socially responsible. I know that that's been a conversation that a lot of folks have had with business. And even as I look at your business model, it seems like you're very much about trying to make sure that folks have that work-life balance. Part of that balance also seems to be making sure that they are doing good for the overall society and not just for their personal good. Or am I misreading kind of your statements and goals? No, 100%. I mean, I have always felt that I've lived a blessed life and to whom much is given, much is expected. And I've tried to live up to that. You know, have I always? Maybe not. (laughs) Certainly not in my 20s. Um, But as I aged, I recognized that, you know, there is plenty that I can give and I can give in different ways. It doesn't have to look like monetary. It can look like time or resource or, you know, something that I'm not using can be recycled and somebody else can and get some, you know, joy from it. It's, I think we just, we spend so much time trying to figure out how we're different from each other. Then you have something like, I mean, you talk about the coronavirus, like that, that leveled the playing field. (laughs) That literally went, all of you are at risk, right? So that just made us all leveled out. And you know, and a lot of people stepped up to do, you know, all kinds of things, you know, making masks for um, healthcare workers and, you know, giving them out to homeless people and doing all the things and, you know, giving food and doing all that. And that's wonderful. I just, we are so connected as humans. Like we, there's so, we are so much more alike than we are different. And if we can take the time to slow down, which was the other blessing from this, and remain slowed down. Like this life is not meant to be scheduled out minute by minute. Like that's not a life lived in joy is when your schedule has every single minute um, attached to some sort of activity. When we can recognize that, you know, we're all humans, we're all connected, that we have the same basic need which is to be loved and to love people that we care about then we could begin to be so much more kinder on the road with t-mobile the leader in 5g whether you're cruising through nashville on i-40 heading down i-90 to boston or touring santa cruz in the five you'll be covered by the largest 5g network t-mobile covers the most interstate highway miles in america with 5g See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Most reliable according to independent third-party Umla from crowdsourced user experience data from January to July 2021. Fastest according to Open Signal Awards based on average speeds in USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. Own the road with T-Mobile, the leader in 5G. Whether you're cruising through Nashville on I-40, heading down I-90 to Boston, or touring Santa Cruz in the 5, you'll be covered by the largest 5G network. T-Mobile covers the most interstate highway miles in America with 5G. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Most reliable according to independent third-party Umla from crowdsourced user experience data from January to July 2021. Fastest according to Open Signal Awards based on average speeds in USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. To each other and sympathetic and empathetic. And I think that's important. Um, and that can look like a whole host of different things for all different kinds of people. You know, if you don't feel like you want to give money because that makes you nervous or you don't think that, you know, it's going to the right things, then find another way to give back, even if it's just to a neighbor. Like when we just as people are kind and um, 
share ourselves and our gifts with others, like that's enough. That ripple effect is enough. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. And I know that one of the nicknames is on your page you go by and everything. And I was just wondering how that came about, whether a friend gave it to you or whether you came up with it about yourself and what that means to you. But I love this title, The Joy Slinger. So I was wondering how that came about <laughs> and when you created that and where, how the whole nickname came about. Well, it's funny because when I first started this uh, business a couple of years ago, um, you know, I called myself a business coach because that's, you know, what I was, that's what I'm good at. I'm good at business and I'm good at mindset. So I thought, oh, I'll just call myself a business coach. But I sort of quickly realized that, you know, although I do help my clients with business um, issues, most of the time we were talking about, you know, the brain and how it works and how do I have a better experience in this life. And that was the thing that really made me excited. And I knew that, you know, my, like, why I'm here, my purpose is to show people how to find their joy and cultivate it daily. And so I I think I was on a podcast with this woman and she was just like, so what exactly do you do? And I said, well, I used to call myself a business coach. And I was like, wait, I'm really not a business coach because I'm not doing policies and procedures. I'm, you know, and I could have said I was a mindset coach, but I, I'm teaching people how to be in joy. And then I was like, I guess I'm a joy slinger. <laughs> and so it just came about like that. And now that's, that's, that really is the truth of what I do. I literally teach people how to get out of anxiety, stress, and overwhelm by finding their joy and cultivating it daily. Sounds like a great thing to do and everything. What has been some of the most unusual approaches that you've had in terms of being uh, this joy coach and this business coach. I'm sure that you've run across some clients that were some unusual clients or some unusual experiences. And I would love to hear some of those. And I'm sure our listeners from around the globe would as well, because I'm sure that if you've done this work, there've been some cases that you probably thought to yourself that I don't know if I can bring this person joy in their business, or there might've been some that brought you a lot of joy because of the nature of their success and the way that their success uh, fulfilled itself. But I was just wondering if you could share some of your uh, positive stories or any of your challenges. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, part of, like, the challenge for me is that when people find me um, and want to work with me, they are all in sort of different, not levels, but they're just, like, different understandings of certain things. And so, you know, part of the fun for me and the challenge is getting to know who people are. And I do that through, you know, I always have these worksheet activity things that we'll do just so that I can, you know, get people to loosen up and tell me the things because it's an honor to be coaching people. And I'll tell you that although we talk about business as well, most of what we talk about is personal, which obviously affects business, but, as a person, as a leader, you know, how, how they're being, because we're just simply too close to ourselves to see where our pitfalls are, where there's areas for growth. And so each client that I, I mean, I've had clients certainly where we just weren't a good fit, but it, it's, it's not, um, 
I mean, I guess I'm not always, I'm surprised sometimes at the answers that people will tell me, but in terms of humans, I, I go back to we're so much more alike than we are different. I mean, ultimately, we just want to love and be loved, period. That's the deal. Anybody, even superficial people could say, you know, no, I just want to make a bunch of money or whatever. And that's super cool too. That's fine. I'm all about abundance. But the reality is when it gets down to it, you're on your deathbed. You're not thinking, I wish I had worked more. I wish I'd amassed more money. I wish I'd amassed more things. You're thinking, I wish I'd had deeper, meaningful relationships with people and especially the ones that I love and spent more time and put more energy and effort into creating memories with those people. And so when I come about it from that place, recognizing that we are all so much more alike than different, yeah, while I coach people that are nothing like me in some personality characteristics, in reality, the bottom line, the basis is the same. And so I've got to meet them where they're at and dole out information in ways in the right size for them. And that's the challenge and the beauty of what I do. I get to, you know, watch people grow and evolve consciously and recognize things about themselves and their life and make great changes that create a significant amount of joy. And what a wonderful thing that is. And so for me, it's just, it's just an honor that people, you know, feel comfortable enough sharing themselves with me. So, uh, Dean, mm-hmm. you still with us? I'm still here. Coach, so what are your thoughts about uh, the leadership coach and what she's got going on? I was definitely thinking that she's got some really interesting ideas, but I wanted to hear from you and some of your thoughts. Well, it's a, it's a little different in, in corrections where some days are monotonous. Because of the work that we do and we're – you know, responsible for the security, custody, and attempt to assist with rehabilitation. Some days, if you're down in those units, are exactly the same. And there's no, um, once you get out of the units, there are other areas where you can work in that are, you know, pique your interest or whatever you're uh, interested in doing then you can go to a specialized unit. Like, for instance, when I started, I started direct care in the units with the offenders, and then I went to the work release program. And from the work release program, then I went to the training department. And then I left Virginia, came to New Jersey, and, you know, started in the social services department where we do the – offender program. We have six core programs to assist with things like anger management, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, family reunification, employment readiness, reentry preparation. So now it's a little bit different. I'm not, um, you know, saying, hey, it's time to get up. It's time to do this or this. Now we are presenting information to um, individuals and also having dialogue with them 
because they have questions. Things have changed since they first were incarcerated. They're about to leave incarceration and go back to the community and, and being able to assist them with getting their birth certificates, their Social Security cards, uh, their motor vehicle IDs, and any general assistance, ACA coverage, and all of those things. So now we're helping them to do certain things, but that's the area in which I work. And then there are other areas that, you know, other people may work in that deal with different things, halfway houses, classification, all kinds of different, um, you know, things that you can do. So it is, you know, and you look at your staff and you say, hey, you know, some people are good at certain things. Some people may need to do something else. There's some who are good at everything, but then you, in order to be an effective leader, you have to look at, uh, you know, what strengths your staff has, who's, who's better at this than others. And some people are good at, you know, organization and statistical data and, you know, others are, are more personable and able to interact with the social services department statewide, the facilitators of the programs, so you have to play on those strengths to find out, you know, like like was said, you can't just say do this and walk off. Because once you say do this and walk off, if, if there is no interest in that work, then it, it does become one of those things where everything that you ask to do, then you have to deal with, why do I have to do this? We always are being asked to do something. You're pulling me this way, that way, and the other way. When in reality... It's not, but it's the perception that they have. And when you talk about a team, no one person can put everything on their back. They can, but they'll burn themselves out or stroke themselves out or, you know, and best believe if you leave this world, they'll send condolences to your family, but pretty soon the work still has to get done. So, hey, look, we have to put this posting out because we need to fill this position because we have this work that needs to get done and we need somebody to do it. So you have to mix all those things up, and it's like a big bowl of gumbo. And, you know, say, saying thank you to individuals for job jobs well done is not a bad thing at all. For some people, it is a foreign concept. However, mm. if you want your, you know, your subordinates to have that enthusiasm on a day-to-day basis, to know, like, like, like you said, to know that they're appreciated, to know that what they do is valuable, means something. If I go to work and you don't say anything to me, I'm just going to do my job. And now after a while, I start slacking off some things because, hey, man, you might not be paying attention. All you want me to do is to do my job. So I'll do the bare minimum, get my check, and go about my way. But if I know that, what I'm doing, even in the thankless jobs, such as the professional corrections, to know that what I do makes a difference and to be reminded of that, not only by, you know, seeing the offenders leave incarceration and not come back, but to also have supervisors and subordinates that say, you know what, let's get this work done. So now when everybody's saying, hey, y'all, let's do this, it makes it a little a lot easier because the pull is not just one or two people. Everyone is pulling in the same direction 
it takes some people a little longer to see the bigger picture because folks are used to looking at what's right in front of them and not paying attention to there's something greater than what's happening directly in front of you behind that. But once you get everyone to see the big picture or at least to understand what the big picture is, then at that point, you know, you have a little something there. And then the job, yeah, that makes you know, the job, yeah, job then becomes tricky because as a leader, your job is to help them get to the next level. So you may lose some people, but in a good way. They didn't quit. They weren't terminated. So now they've been promoted and you get new folks. So now you get to start all over again, but you have to, that enthusiasm has to be infectious so that whoever comes in, they come along and it's a group trip, not just a point, go here, go there. Because a boss will tell you, go over here, do this, do that. A leader will say, come on, let's go together, you know, so just my thought. No, that makes a lot of sense. And um, Aaron, that actually brings up an interesting question because I was actually on a uh, another podcast on the World Economic Forum. I think they're out of Malaysia, if I remember correctly. It's a streaming podcast that a friend of mine does and everything earlier today. And we were talking about employee-owned companies. And part of the reason that one of the gentlemen felt that those were popular, at least they were popular before the uh, virus and everything, but because the owners, because they own part of the company, have a more vested interest in the company, and therefore, they might be more willing to do things for the company because that's giving them some sort of financial benefit as well. So like I said, they have a a vested interest within the company. So as a coach, what is your thought about employee-owned companies, and do you think that that's a wave of the future that we're going to see more of? Like, I know that definitely, I think, uh, there have been a couple of companies that have been in the fast food chain and definitely in some other chains that have been employee-owned uh, or at least partially employee-owned. But what are your thoughts as to whether this is going to be a new chain, a new uh, trend or not a new trend that might see more development in the next 10 to 15 years? It's a great model. Um, you know, you got to make sure you got the right people involved, though. You know, just like the other gentleman was saying, you know, you can get people involved that, you know, show up for a short time and do the right thing or, you know, complete the tasks and and are, you know, self-regulating. Um, you know, there's always going to be a couple of people that um, don't. And so that's the only challenge I see with the employee run is some people just aren't, you know, um, self-regulating, I guess. They just, you know, they aren't uh, able to, like some people are just really good at being employees. Tell them what to do, they'll do it. They don't want to, you know, they want to put extra time. They don't want to, you know, do any of the extra things. They don't even really care why they're doing what they're doing. They just, you know, come and go. Um, So I think, you know, I think, you know, that model is great if, you know, if that motivates those people, like if they have skin in the game, you know, they get rewarded, um, then yeah, I think it would work great. Um, I just, you know, my hesitation would be that not everybody can fit into that model. No, that makes sense and everything. One other thing I was curious about is as a coach, what do you do when you run across people that you realize have weaknesses? Like I know that I am not, 
the uh, my organizational skills aren't always the greatest. As he says as he looks around his uh, home office and sees all kinds of business cards and papers laying around and things of that nature. And definitely, I can sometimes uh, procrastinate when I don't need to be procrastinating. So when you find folks that recognize their weaknesses but don't necessarily address their weaknesses, as a coach, what are some of the things that you do in order to get them past those weaknesses? And I just gave you two examples of mine. Yeah. So, um, in terms of individuals that I'm working with, you know, one of the first things that we talk about is why are you doing what you're doing? Like, why are you a business owner? Um, because I've run in across and had clients that aren't good business owners. <laughs> I mean, you can't be if you are not. Um, First of all, if you are, if you don't have a big enough why, you won't stay in business. And the why cannot right. be something like money or status because those things will not, they're not a big enough why. It has to be like affecting your community or your family or like on a bigger scale, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing and why does it even matter? And you have to be able to answer that question every day when you're a business owner, you can't just, you know, write a mission and then ditch the mission. You got to like write the mission and the mission has to mean so much. It has to be more pain of not doing it. And that's how dedicated you need to be in order to start a business. Because if you don't, you'll quit. It's too hard. You know? And so, and then in terms of like, you know, I'm not in the business of, I mean, certainly I will help people, um, you know, organize their thoughts and, you know, give them a path to follow, but I'm not in the business to make them do anything. You know, if you want to pay me what I charge to babysit you, that seems kind of ludicrous. You don't have a big enough why then, Um, you know. No, that makes a lot of sense. Why do you think it is, and I've had this conversation with a couple of folks, including here and everything, but I'd love to hear from you, Aaron, as to why you think coaching has become so big, because definitely I've noticed an increase in coaches. Um, I know that there was a period definitely with, like, the um, Oprah-type coaches that were out there for a while, so maybe 10 or 15 years ago. But I would argue definitely in the 21st century we're seeing even more coaches come out than in the past in terms of business coaches and some of the other offshoots of business coaches. I'm thinking like the health coaches, the wellness coaches, and a number of other kinds of coaches that are out there. But why do you think that we as a society, and I mean a global society, are so big into coaches now as opposed to, say, 15, 20 years ago? I think that we don't need to reinvent the wheel. I think if you are speaking to – I'm not saying that there is a cookie-cutter way to do any kind of business, literally. Like if you have a marketing business, and you know somebody else who has a marketing business and they're super successful and you follow all the steps that they do, is there a guarantee that you're going to have a really successful marketing business? No, because it doesn't work like that. And so, you know, part of the reason I think, you know, coaching makes sense is because people are going, oh, I don't want to have to reinvent the wheel. This person already achieved that. I'm going to do exactly what they want. I mean, what they did in order to create that same success. And um, I think that works in terms of, you know, mindset and those sorts of things where you're, 
teaching them specific strategies, um, but there's the piece of being in business where you have to recognize who you are and what your offer is that's unique. Um, not unique in terms of like we're talking about a marketing company because there's a ton of marketing companies, right? But unique in terms of you, like what is your unique offer as a human on in this world? And, um, you know, that doesn't always fit in with somebody else's, uh, you know, blueprint to whatever. Um, you know, and that's why I don't teach just one strategy because, I know people are different, and one strategy that works for one client is going to not work for another client. And um, there are a few that I believe work for everybody, but they also have to not be in resistance to it. I've had clients that are like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. And I go, well, this is the most effective way to, you know, combat whatever it is. And they're like, yeah, that's embarrassing. I don't want to do that. (laughs) I just go, okay, well. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. Moving on to the next thing because trying to get people to do things they don't want to do um, is not an effective way to get people to move. Yeah, definitely agree with you on that. One of the things that I was curious about, and I've definitely read the bio of your success and everything, but I oftentimes wonder, do we sometimes get too caught up in the uh, – mentality of wanting what the Joneses have, meaning that you wanted to get that success, wanting even, I would argue, even sometimes within relationships, wanting that person has got that successful house, that successful car, that successful whatever and everything, and we still have that kind of mentality, and that can sometimes get in the way of us having true success. It's not me like that's one of the things that you're fighting against, because I do think that we do get still in this day caught up in wanting to go after the Joneses and all of that. And you had a lot of the things that people say they want. I mean, you had the house that had a certain kind of value. You had a certain kind of car. Um, You just said it was a nice car, but I assume it was a certain kind of car. And you were definitely living what everybody would say was the dream of everybody. But then things didn't quite go stay that way. They went a whole different direction. And then you had to reinvent yourself, which is uh, something else we've seen a lot of folks do in this age of coronavirus and reinvention and pivoting seem to be the way of the wave of the future. I just wonder if you could share a little bit about your personal story and when you came to realization that it wasn't necessarily those old visions that you might have had when you were, as you say, stated earlier in your 20s and 30s, and now that you're um, at a different part of your life. <laughs> that was a very diplomatic way to say that. Um, yeah, you know. Um, the cliche is money doesn't make you happy, right? And it's absolutely true. In my old business, the one that I sold a few years ago, um, I worked for multi-billionaires, multi-millionaires. Um, those, that was my clientele. And they're some of the most miserable people I've ever met. They can do, they have the thing that everybody says that you need in order to be happy. But happiness is based on an external event or thing that's I got a new car it's awesome it's fleeting right because at some point it just becomes a car again right I don't care if it's a Ferrari at some point you're like eh that's okay it's it's just a thing right and I was caught up in that for so long I had all I had five houses I had the cars the truck the all the things I had the time flexibility I had lots of money in the bank, I had all those things, and I was completely miserable because 
joy is an internal experience. And when you create that, it's not fleeting. You do have to cultivate it in order to kind of rewire all this workings that have been going on for all this time. But that's an easy rewire based on, you know, recognizing what makes you feel good. You know, happiness and success, money, you cannot, like, none of us are getting out of this alive. You can't take any of that with you. It doesn't change anything. It gives you an opportunity for some other things, but there's still not happiness in it. And I realized at some point not that long ago that there's never enough. There's never going to be enough money. There's never going to be a nice enough car. There's never going to be a house big enough. There's never going to be a person that's perfect. None of that stuff because that is all internal work that has to happen in order for you to feel good about any of those things because those will just go away and mean absolutely nothing. And again, back to deathbed, you're not going to, you're not on your deathbed going, I wish I'd had more money, more things, you know, and this idea of success, I have a very different idea now. It's not based on monetary. It's not based on goals. It's based on real value as a human, not as a machine, a money-making machine or any of those other things. And I'm very passionate about this because I believe a lot of people are stuck in this cycle. And if they're listening now, you will never make enough money to make you feel good about you. That is an internal job that has nothing to do with money. And that's all I have to say about that. No, I thoroughly agree with you, and I couldn't argue with you more. I know that my dad, who is a um, fairly successful local artist and everything, but one of the things he taught my nephews, and I don't have any kids of my own, but he taught my nephews was definitely to kind of enjoy Mother Nature and enjoy the simple things of life, as we like to call it, at a very young age. I remember him running around when they were, like, probably toddlers, um, like, literally crawling around. He was showing them, like, flowers and plants and other things. A lot of folks would say that that was much too young to be doing that, but they are some of the most inquisitive uh, preteens that I know even to this day and everything. So I don't, I would argue that that's probably something that we need to do more of. So I definitely agree with you that that whole concept of going after the Joneses doesn't necessarily seem to work, but society and definitely that whole Hollywood society seems to have, want us to believe that the next thing we need is going to be the next yacht or the next uh, big boat or the next airplane and all of that. And I'm oftentimes shocked and uh, I've never understood the mentality of having, well, maybe I shouldn't say totally don't understand, but having like way too many houses. Like I said, I get like maybe having a house on the East Coast and the West Coast and different things of that nature if you got businesses on the East Coast and the West Coast, but then you hear of the folks like you just mentioned that have got eight or nine houses and it's like you can only live in one house at a time. So what happens to the house the rest of the time when we've got a homeless problem going on in our world and in our society. So I never quite understood uh, that mentality, but I do know that it exists out there and all of that. And there are folks that are got that mentality. I guess they're part of that 1% that I am nowhere near being part of and all of that. But I'll just um, so I agree with what you said a lot about how we need to have more of a wellness attitude and more of a positive attitude. One of my favorite blues songs, and I've also, in addition to doing 
variety of other things is I do some blues DJing on Thursdays at one of our local community radio stations. And I cannot think of the artist right now to save my life if I wanted to, but there's an artist that the punchline of the song is that they've never seen an armored car at a funeral yet, which basically kind of alludes to what you were talking about, which is you can't take it with you because if there was, there would be that armored car along with the hurts and everything. But that's the punchline of the song is that there's not, they've never seen. And of course there've been several because they were in that older 70 age range when they uh, pinned the song, I believe. So they said that they had never seen an armored car at a funeral yet. And I'm thinking that even when you were living in that kind of lifestyle, you probably didn't see many armored cars in any of those situations or even in that many weddings and on the more positive side <laughs> as well. Yeah, I love that line. That line is 100% right on. And don't get me wrong, I'm all about abundance. Um, and I like things too. I like nice things. I like to travel, all those things. But that just can't be in terms of my way of thinking, that can't be the thing, right? And I'm not building a business for, you know, accolades or money per se. I'm doing it because I have a service that I'm bringing to this world that matters and makes sense. And I happen to make money at the same time. Fantastic. Great. But that's not the purpose. And I think a lot of people think that is the purpose and um, that's an empty purpose. There are deeper, there's deeper meaning to be had in this life than money. No, I definitely agree with you. There definitely deeper means to be had than just money and things along those lines. Um, when you talk to folks that live that kind of lifestyle and everything, what are some of the myths, I mentioned myths just in business, but what are some of the myths that you think that they have bought into that is it just strictly that that money is going to get them this sort of like uh, perfect lifestyle, even though I don't know that there is such thing as a perfect lifestyle, just like I don't know that there's a person, even though a lot of times we oftentimes are looking for that perfect person, even though I think that we're looking for fool's gold in that sense, because we've all got our uh, good aspects and our negative aspects in life and everything. But I was just wondering, what are some of the mythologies that you think folks that are in that 1% have fallen into? Well, I mean, I think that our society has done a huge disservice by likening advertising that says, you know, when you have the car, the house, the relationship, you look a certain way, you're thin and tall and, you know, maybe white or whatever the thing is, um, which mostly that is the thing, um, then you'll be happy. And that's a huge disservice it's had. And a lot of people, myself included, bought into it for many, many years. And um, it's hugely impactful for people because when you see the same thing over and over again, you begin to believe that it's true. But I think if, you know, one of the, th- one of the places that I love to hang out the most is uh, elderly homes, you know, before all this mess has happened in the last year. At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. 
We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. Because, um, you know, older people, they just have a broader understanding of what's going on because they've been around longer. And, um, and they recognize, yeah, you know, money will give you certain amenities, but it doesn't change the meaning of your life. And that's what I'm after. Like, we've spent too much time chasing after things that don't make sense. Now it's time to spend all of that effort and energy on having meaning in our lives, like real meaning, like meaningful conversations, memories made, you know, connecting with others on a real level, not because I want to get something from you or, you know, sell something to you or whatever. It's because we're humans and we're having a human experience and we're so much more alike than we're different. And, Let's celebrate those things, you know. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. We got to have those real meetings, those real conversations. I know we had a guest, I think it was maybe a couple of weeks ago and everything, that talked about generational wealth. How important do you think it is for us to do that, understanding that we want to have wealth and definitely or want to have at least a reasonable lifestyle. I won't even say wealth, but at least a survivable lifestyle and everything. But how important do you think it is to pass that on to the next generation? So is that something that even with your daughter, is that something that you're trying to work with being able to be sustainable enough that you're able to pass it on to her and maybe she's able to pass it on to her kids should she decide to have kids and all of that. But how important do you think as a society it is for us to create generational wealth? I don't think it's important at all. Um, you know, I did, I have lived a blessed life. I didn't grow up poor or anything. You know, I didn't want for much. Um, you know, my college education was paid for mostly by grants and my folks and they paid for books and all kinds of things. I, I made my way in terms of paying for, you know, um, housing and food and those sorts of things. And I think that's important. You know, I have a college fund for my daughter, but it's not going to cover. I don't want it to cover everything. I want her to have skin yeah. in the game too. When we don't have skin in yeah. the game, we're not in it. <laughs> it doesn't mean as much. You know, when somebody hands you, I, like my folks, I turned 16. They gave me a car for my birthday. Uh, when I graduated from college, I got another car. Like, that's craziness. <laughs> I was grateful. Don't get me wrong. Super grateful. And that won't happen for my, my child. I'll help her with things, but I'm not going to hand her anything because I want her to understand what it's like. She's as it, as it stands, she has lived a blessed life. You know, she grew up with me owning businesses and having, you know, a nice income and we've traveled all over the world and, um, and she's an only child. So it's really challenging to not have a spoiled only child because they don't have to share anything with anybody. 
but I try to give her different opportunities so she can understand. As it were, she's super great at manifesting the things that she wants in her life. Just she understands um, how this world works, and she's also has a super high EQ. So she gets what it takes to have people like show up and support you, you know, even as a very young child, you know, saying thank you and appreciating and letting people know like how much they appreciate and bringing them into your world and not just, you know, acting like she's owed these things, recognizing that I'm not owed these things, but if I ask nicely, I might be able to get that thing. And if I appreciate it, people will remember that and feel appreciated and valued you know, so she's learned some of these things, like, from a young age. And as it were, she's manifested some crazy stuff in her life. <laughs> and, you know, half the time I say, man, I wish I'd come back as her. <laughs> well, But I'm not um, going to pay for, and you know, not she's not going to turn 16 and have a car, let's just say. She's not going to – I want her to have skin in the game and 100% all in when she decides on something. And, uh, you know, and, and feel it herself, too, because that didn't really get me anywhere when people handed me stuff, you know. I mean, it was appreciated, but, um, you know, it's good to learn. It's good to, it's good yeah. to work for your own stuff, too. And speaking of working for your own stuff and everything, one of the things that I've always been fascinated by, and I remember even as a kid being fascinated by it, was the whole Horatio Alger story, you know, the person that apparently didn't have anything and then worked their way into creating a business and things of that nature. But it seems to me that with the internet and with uh, social media and with a number of other things that are out there now, that we have hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of Horatio Algers out there now. And it kind of comes back to something you said earlier in this podcast, which is not everybody is necessarily needs to be a business owner or an entrepreneur and all of that. So I was wondering, do you think that we've made it almost too accessible for everybody to become an entrepreneur and a business person? I mean, all you got to do is pretty much just stick your title on the Internet, you know, claim that you're a business owner and go out there and try to hustle whatever the business is, whether that's entertainment, whether that's music, whether that's um, shoes or a number of other products that are out there as well. So I just wonder, as one that has been in that entrepreneurship space, do you feel that in the 21st century it's almost become too easy to become a business owner and that can be a detriment to some of our entrepreneurs? I'm not going to lie. I'm slightly concerned about – you know, this digital age that these kids are growing up in, in terms of, um, you know, getting self-esteem from access to each other in terms of bullying and this comparing ourselves to one another thing that happens a lot, especially on social media, um, getting about like, you know, this person has millions of followers and, you know, I'm watching my child look at these, watch these videos and think, you know, uh, Like, what are they bringing to the table here, you know? Like, they're not all that entertaining. I'm not quite sure why they have so many followers. Or what is the, like, what's the, what's the service here, you know? Um, That slightly concerns me when I see social media where people are taking all these pictures of themselves looking for, um, you know, feedback. Am, Am I 
pretty enough? Am I, you know, thin enough? Am I the things, all the things that we're supposed to strive for? And, um, and that concerns me for sure. Um, partly because, um, you know, self-esteem again, internal journey. Um, also, you know, these people that have these followings that, um, do sort of nonsense things, (laughs) um, that I watch all the time with my 13 year old, um, like that's not real, (laughs) you know, and, um, that's really not a role model. And it's certainly, um, you know, uh, it sort of sets up this whole other ideal for these kids to thinking that um, this is something to strive for or that anybody can be a YouTube star or, you know, um, which, you know, I'm not about like telling people that they can't do anything because I believe you can if you set your mind to it and you um, get very intentional. Um, But it's just, it's just a weird dynamic. Um, just that whole, like, look at me culture. Um, and, um, it's just, it's, uh, fantastical. It's just, it's not real. And I know a lot of kids kind of think that it is and they want, they want to sort of strive to, you know, be a YouTube star or whatever. And, um, I just ask that they look a little deeper and try and find a way to really express who they are, like truly who they are and bring that value to this world. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you on that. I was actually saying that that's one of the things, um, and Dean did not watch it, but I did watch the majority of the Grammys in their outside environment that they were not actually all the time in the Staples Center. They were kind of going back between being inside and outside of the Staples Center. But, yeah, some of those even, like, established stars, I was kind of wondering, like, exactly what messaging are you trying to put out there with what you're doing and all of that, because some of the messaging does seem to be a little bit clouded in that. And I do think that you definitely need to have positive messaging in what you're trying to create and not knocking, uh, trying to have some sexuality aspects of some messaging, but I don't think that you need to go over the top with it as I feel that they do on occasion, but maybe that's just me getting older and maybe hopefully wiser and maybe if I was in my twenties, I might've put up with it a little bit more than I am in my fifties uh, and everything. So maybe that's what's going on. Maybe I'm becoming my uh, cranky old granddad and everything. Cause he would sometimes have his cranky moments and everything as I've gotten older as well. So maybe that's kind of what's going on also, but I do know that we are constantly changing, but I know that I still like my, raunchy blues songs as well. So I haven't totally become my granddad, but I was sitting there worrying a little bit about that Cardi B and that um, song that she did with Megan the Stallion and everything. As I was in there watching it going like, I'm not sure that this is the imagery that I want, but I don't know what your thoughts are on some of the current things that are going on in pop culture compared to what you might've thought of it when you were in your 20s. You know, I think if you get a power position like that, you know, again, to whom much is given, much is expected, you know, if you're lucky enough to get into a situation where you can affect millions, then I think it's vitally important that you do that positively, you know. Um, But that's just that's just me. I'm not judging anybody. Everybody can do whatever they want. If it's me and I have the ability to reach millions, 
I'm going to see what I can do to affect that in the most positive way possible. Um, but again, you know, just like anything, if your mindset isn't correct, um, you don't know. <laughs> so if you don't have the skill set to recognize, you know, where you're at and what your message is or you don't have a big enough why as to, you know, what kind of uh, footprint you want to put in this world, um, then you'll just kind of roll with whatever is and do, you know, what you think is going to get you more of that attention. But that attention is just like money and success and amassing things. It's short-lived. It doesn't make you feel genuinely good. And at some point they're going to recognize that and probably have some sort of uh, crisis over it and hopefully use their position in a way that could impact millions positively. On the opposite side of this, and you may disagree with me, but I just want to know your thoughts on this. Um, I have a good friend of mine. He actually does um, a show on a lot of our streaming platforms, and we re-air it here on our network. You'll hear Dean talk about that in about 10 or 15 minutes and everything. But Zach, who has actually gone through some issues with bipolar himself and everything, but he was not overly thrilled with kind of the way that Megan and Harry brought up the issue of mental health and everything because he felt that it was kind of like done in a uh, way that belittled the issue. And they were using, in their in his sense, he was feeling that while they had the power, they weren't necessarily doing it in a productive way because he's sitting there going like, do I really care that these folks that have got like, you know, a $400,000 suit or whatever she was wearing on is talking about this in a kind of surface attitude and not getting into the core of it. That was his complaint and everything. So would you agree with him or would you have a response to him when he brings that up? Because he brought it up to me a couple of times on different platforms and everything. But I was just wondering, do you think that sometimes folks that are in power don't necessarily always use it in the effective way? Or did you feel that that was an effective thing to go on Oprah's show and to talk about it and kind of like just touch on it on the surface but not really go into it in depth? I hate to say it, I am interested in watching that interview, but I didn't watch it, so I don't know specifically what you're talking about. But I do know that mental illness has not been, um, you know, given its due. It's um, it's a real thing, and it affects a lot of people in a lot of ways. Um, you know, just simple, not simple things, but, you know, little things like, you know, anxiety, um, you know, that's maybe not acute, you know, that's maybe not an, a full-blown anxiety disorder, but it's not any less important, um, uh, you know. And a lot of people, because of the stigma, are not getting diagnosed and thus not getting the treatment that they need because it's just frowned upon to talk about these things. And so I applaud your uh, friend who, you know, has come out and said that they're bipolar and um, and managing it how they can. Right. Yeah, and definitely they do and, that. And like I said, I was surprised that he had those kind of feelings about that particular interview. But, yeah, it might have been one of those cancel culture kind of things that I know we've talked about here as well, also on this show, where he was feeling that it might have not caused enough of the issue to be addressed because of the way it was presented and all of that. So, like I said, I'm still trying to find my uh, 
kind of come back to your why. My why is to whether that's a good attitude or not good attitude, but everybody has their own opinions on those and everything. As we're winding down and we've got about 10 more minutes to go and everything, what are some of the things that you think you would like to see our society tackle more of that we're not tackling for those that have gotten the resources. And I definitely think there are a number of things. Like I'm a big fan that we need to do something with climate change, definitely need to do better than we've been doing. with. From earaches to strep tests, there's Minute Clinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials. Or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier made easier. Visit Minute Clinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details race relations and with some of the things that are going on between the police and the inner city. But just as a thought leader yourself, and I consider you a thought leader, I was wondering some of your thoughts as to what you would like us to be tackling more of. And also, are you happy with the first 90 days or so? I know that's a big question of the current administration. Yeah, um, I think that you're right on. Definitely um, race uh, injustice. All of that has been in the works for far too long. Needs to be some major headway made in that um, arena. Um, and, you know, less of the fighting and more of the how can we really create change in this, you know. Um, you know, I'd love it if there was a way to make reparations, but I, I just don't know how that would look, um, you know, uh, and I, I definitely am not the right person for a solution to that, but it would be nice if we could at least moving forward recognize there's a real issue and deal with it in a kind and gentle way um, without having to be so, uh, you know, uh, polarized and, um, you know, coming together on this and and listening to each other and trying to understand better um and i think that's across every issue that we have um the uh i don't know i mean i'd say i'm just slightly disappointed with the current administration i feel like there were a lot of promises that haven't happened yet but i still am holding a lot of hope at least i feel like he's uh seems to me like a nice person, which matters. You know, I mean, if you're going to be the leader of the free world, you should um, you should be a nice person and have other people's agendas um, in your mind as well, not just your own. Um, but, you know, I would never want to be the president. I certainly couldn't attest to what that position is like at all, um, nor would I want to even know. <laughs> Um, most of the time with news these days, I feel like less is more. Um, the mm -hmm. less I know, the better it is. Um, only because I'm just not clear what is the truth anymore. Um, because it seems like a lot of people have agendas. So, you know, I think race is a huge issue that definitely needs to be tackled. And, um, that's probably one of the biggest ones. And then we have obviously an economy issue, which is, you know, not anybody's fault exactly, but, um, you know, due to everything that's happened over the last year, there were certainly some things that could have been done differently, but, um, you know, there's going to be a dip in the economy anyway, based on the coronavirus. So, I mean, I'd like to see some people that are less, you know, fortunate 
be able to kind of pick themselves up after all this, you know, it's, it's just been a huge hit on a lot of people. And I think um, that hasn't been um, said enough, you know, the fact that the stimulus checks were taking so long and that there wasn't a plan in place to help um, for these sorts of things and, or there wasn't uh, an urgency is um, it's sort of, uh, it's sad. You know, a lot of people suffered and are still suffering. No, I definitely agree. A lot of folks are still suffering and everything. The other quick question I was going to ask you, and then I'll get to the one that I asked everybody at the end of the show and everything, is as a woman business leader, do you feel that we've done enough, and this may be one that we had to bring you back on to talk about it some later time, but you can give me the short version, in terms of addressing the glass ceiling? Because I do know that while we're glad that we've got a woman vice president, that a lot of time women business leaders are not given the same kind of just dues that y'all deserve and the pay equity is ridiculous in terms of what women business leaders get paid versus men business leaders and all of that in a number of professions. But as a lady and as a woman leader, I would want to know your thoughts. Yeah, no doubt about it. Women have definitely gotten the short stick on a lot of things. Um, You know, certainly encouraging to have the VP be not only a woman of color, but also um, a woman. Uh, you know, that's fantastic. I couldn't be happier about that. Um, not for my generation because we're, you know, <laughs> we're on the other side, but for these new generations, because if we can't, if they can't see what's possible, then it's hard to attain it. So that just alone is so huge for women and for people of color. Um, but women in general, um, I have two things to say. One is, yes, we've gotten the short stick, but the other is if you've decided you've gotten the short stick, then guess what you get? So you also get to dictate what you create, you know. Um, I'm not saying that there are certain industries and or positions that have definitely not been earmarked for women, but do not let that stop you. That is a choice you can do. You are capable. I don't care where you come from, what race, what color, what um, nationality, what background, what circumstance, what gender or no gender. You are. You can do whatever you want to do, but you cannot do it if you have that in mind, that you are the lesser that everybody's going to be against you, you know, because people have done it. They've shown that it's able to be done. So part of it is the mindset of not allowing that other mindset to be part of your mindset. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I definitely agree with you. We've got to have more of that kind of attitude that you're talking about and that much more positive attitude in that regard. Cause I think that too often folks, uh, defeat themselves before they even get in the game. And it sounds to me like that's one of the things that you have not allowed yourself to do is to be self-defeated. Because I know oftentimes we will let ourselves be self-defeated before we've even had a chance to pick up the ball, much less even try to throw a pass to use a football analogy and everything. So I do think that that's something that too often we do is we self-defeat ourselves. And that's why we need good coaches like you. So if folks are interested in getting your coaching, I know they can go to their website, which is Aaron Mack 
www.thepeopleshow.com and all of that. But what other social media do you have? And the other thing that I always ask all my guests to do on just about every show that I do is any words of encouragement that you can give to our global community. Because here on uh, Straight Talk with Dean and Mark, we do have listeners not just here in the United States, but throughout the globe. I think at one time, Dean and me had counted them, and there were quite a few countries that were listening. And we even got a network out of India that re-airs some of our stuff as well. So I would love to know your words in terms of positive thoughts and words of encouragement. Well, first and foremost, I will tell you what I tell everybody, which is I believe it is your birthright to be in joy almost exclusively. And if that is not the experience you are having, keep seeking. If you're listening to this, you are seeking. Keep going. If I'm not your right fit, there is somebody out there that can help you create this experience. We are meant to be enjoying ourselves, having fun, creating deep, meaningful relationships with people. That's the thing. All this other stuff is not the thing. This is the thing. So seek. There's plenty of people out there Maybe not slinging joy, but they're slinging some real positive things. Go and find the ones that speak to you and don't give up. We are, we're, there is a movement happening. It is moving towards understanding these things, but it's not the norm yet. And so it's going to require you to keep immersing yourself into the things that you listen to and you go, ah, that makes sense to me. Let me find out more about that and let me find more people that are talking about those words and saying the things that hit me on a deep level. Keep seeking. It's out there. They're out there for you. Um, If you want to find me, you can find me on Instagram. I post a ton of content, strategies, uh, value, um, ideas to think about, um, different things you can do to make your life more enjoyable. Um, my Instagram handle is Aaron, E-R-I-N-M-A-C-L-L-C. Um, and my website is, uh, the URL is listed there as well. And if if I can be of service, I want to be of service. I always give away um, a free discovery call, 20 minutes, and um, I'll listen to whatever's got going on, and I'll give you a strategy um, to move on with your life. So if that sounds interesting, hit me up, DM me through uh, Instagram. Well, I definitely think it will hopefully get you some people uh, listening and definitely uh, hopefully using your service. I definitely have found you to be a engaging conversation and glad to know that you've got all kinds of great ideas. And I definitely think, like you said, this is a uh, new movement going on and hopefully we are part of that change. I know that that same friend I was talking about with the bipolar talks about light warriors and things of that nature. And then he considers me to be a light warrior. I would argue meeting you through uh, potted and now on this phone that I would put you in that same category as one that is trying to create positive change and bring light to society. So I definitely think that you've got that same kind of energy and some of the other folks that I've had on this show and others have had that as well. So definitely trying to, uh, put some light on some very negative energy that's been out there much too long. So hopefully this is going to be a change in wave and we'll see a better age coming in the not too distant future. I'm actually feeling, despite the fact that we've gone through this pandemic, actually relatively hopeful about the future because of folks like your teenage, uh, well, 13, that would be teenage, teenage daughter and my 
preteen age nephews and some other kids that I know that are in that 13 teenage years as well as in their 20s that when I talk to them, they give me a lot of hope for the future based on what I'm hearing them communicate about what they see as their future and also what they would like to see happen as they go into the adult years and all of that. So I'm thinking that they are uh, definitely bright lights and hopefully we can help guide them into that journey as we continue on our journey of life. Absolutely. Cool. Well, you have been a great guest. Dean, you want to tell folks where they can catch the uh, replay at and some of the other shows that we've got as well, and then that will probably pretty much wrap up the show. But I think that Aaron was a tremendous guest. took us a little while to get going and everything just because I've had a long day, but that's okay. That's what you do. You still find that energy at some point and keep it moving along and all of that. But it was definitely a fascinating interview, a great interview, but I would love to hear your thoughts as well as uh, maybe you can even give some advice on life to Erin in your closing remarks as well, because you've heard a little bit of her story and what she's went through, and you've had a very successful career, about to go into retirement in a few years and everything, but have also got a long-time successful relationship that you've been part of as you've all been times talk about your queen and all of that. So love to hear your thoughts as we wind the show up. Well, my thoughts are real short, man. I, and you know what? As every week when we do this, it's Straight Talk with Dana Mark, y'all. Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to catch the replays on the Skyhawk Radio Network tomorrow afternoon and Wednesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you missed those, we do have replays on a number of platforms to include Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Podcast Addict, CastBox, Podfollow, Deezer, Jill Saving, and right here at Blog Talk Radio, where we are a member of the Level Podcast Network, and you can catch other exciting shows, such as the Black Girl's Guide to Surviving Menopause, the Chef Gang Radio Show, Funk from the Front Seat, Funk Music with Zach, Learning Unwrapped, Let's K-12 Better, Marketing with Rush, a.k.a. Hashtag Rush Selfie, Mona Shake in the Minority Reports, Mullings, Music, and Memories with Mark Lee, The Online Dinner Party with Mark Lee, The Plan a Good Seed Podcast, The Reinvention Road Trip, She's on Call, The Just Podcast, The Mark Lee Show, The Spin It Social Hour, Virginia Interfaith Live, WNC Original Music, and of course, us. Right here, Straight Talk with Dana Mar. And like I always say, when you walk outside your front door, showtime in the world is your stage. Just make sure that people are not watching the rehearsal. With that being said, it's the six man Dan Geronimo. Have an outstanding week. And we see y'all in seven days.
We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks.